All right, guys, well, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. We are continuing in our teaching series on the book of Genesis. Today is actually part 10, and we are now far enough through Genesis that I can say with confidence that we are going to finish by the end of August, okay? Early on, I was like, I don't know how long this is going to take. I, I thought maybe we could get it done in nine or ten weeks. That wasn't going to happen. I thought maybe 12 or 13 Looks like it's going to be about 14 weeks. We're going to get through the book of Genesis. Uh, this has been a huge teaching series, but it's been amazing. I was afraid it might get repetitive and boring, but it hasn't. Every week, God has brought something fresh out of the book of Genesis. But most importantly is that we are uh, building up the foundation of our faith, building up the foundation of everything that we believe in and the importance of the entire Bible, not just the parts about Jesus' earthly ministry, but remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus wasn't just ministering the three years He was on earth. Jesus started ministering the moment God said, let there be light. And, and we limit Jesus way too much if we only think of Him for His earthly ministry. And We've even been experiencing Jesus as we've been reading through the book of Genesis and where Jesus has showed up on the scene and encountered people. So... We just finished up with Abraham. We spent four Sundays uh, learning about Abraham, and now we're going to move into Isaac. And here's the interesting thing about Isaac is he's kind of the connector, right? We spend a lot of time on Abraham, and we spend a lot of time on Jacob, and Isaac is just kind of the patriarch in the middle that connects the two. He doesn't get a lot of playtime. And so what we know about Isaac, most of it focuses on his childhood, right? He was the child of promise. We learned that Ishmael was the child of the flesh, but that Isaac was the child of the promise. Uh, we learned that Isaac was the heir of the covenant promises. The covenant promises were not passed down to Ishmael. The covenant promises were not passed down to all the other kids that Abraham had when he remarried later in life. Most of us never even hear of those kids. It was Isaac who was the heir of the covenants. And then we learned last week that Isaac had caught his father's faith, that Isaac followed God just like his father did. And then when we move into adulthood, you know, then Isaac is basically just viewed as, as the father of Esau and Jacob, right? And, and so he's kind of this missing component between Abraham and Jacob. But there is actually one chapter in Genesis that focuses on just Isaac and Isaac alone, and that's the chapter that we're going to study today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to go to Genesis 26, and we're going to study the life of Isaac, and we're going to focus specifically on the concept of digging wells. And what was the big deal about digging wells? And so what we find here in Genesis 26, I'm going to paraphrase the first few verses, and then we're going to start reading from verse 12. But there's a famine in the land, and so Isaac takes his family, and they head for Egypt, which was the same thing as Father Abraham had done, right? A lot of times when there was famine in the land of Canaan, there was still plenty in Egypt. Egypt was a fruitful area until we get to the story of Joseph when we find the famine swept all through Egypt as well. So Isaac is on his way to Egypt when God encounters him, and God says, do not leave the promised land. 
I want you to stay here. I'm going to fulfill the covenant promises in your life, but it is imperative that you stay in the promised land and do not leave it. And so Isaac was obedient. So rather than going to Egypt, he stopped in Gerar, which was basically the southernmost area of Canaan. So it was as far south as he could go and still stay in the promised land. At this time, Gerar was a part of the kingdom of the Philistines. And so as he lives in the kingdom of the Philistines, what we see in Isaac is that not only did he have the same faith as his father, he made the same mistakes as his father. And what does he do when he's in the kingdom of the Philistines? The same thing his father did. My wife is beautiful. They're going to kill me for my wife. So I'm going to tell everybody that my wife is my sister. Thankfully, nobody took his wife before they realized that he was lying, and they said, listen, you can stay here. No one's going to kill you, and no one's going to touch your wife. Would you guys just stop? What is it with you Hebrews coming in here, calling your wives your sisters? Would you just stop? And that's where we pick up the story in verse 12. Now Isaac sowed in that land, talking about the land of Gerar, Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. And so we see the same blessings of Abraham have now been transferred to Isaac, that no matter where he goes, he is blessed And he becomes wealthy because of the blessing of God that is upon his life. Verse 15, now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, he was the king of the the kingdom of the Philistines. Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Could you imagine as an individual being so powerful that an entire kingdom comes to you and says, go away because you're too powerful for us? Isaac is just one guy. He's just one family living in the kingdom of the Philistines, and the kingdom comes to him and says, we need you to leave because you're too powerful. Doesn't that speak to the power we're supposed to live in today as followers of Christ? That even though we live in the kingdom of this world, we are more powerful than the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world would recognize our power and that we're too powerful for it. All right, that just gets me excited. All right, we'll move on. Verse 18. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. And so he named the well Essek, because they contended with him there. And Essek means contention or quarreling or arguing. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it also. So he named it Sitna. Sitna means enmity or enemy. 
Some have theorized that this is the Hebrew precursor to the Greek word Satan because it means the enemy. And so he named this well the enemy. Verse 22, he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, for he said, at last, the Lord has made room for us. Or other translations say broad places for us, because that's what Rehoboth means. It means broad places. At last, the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So again, God shows up and reaffirms, Isaac, you are the heir of the covenant promises. Every promise I made to Abraham applies to you now as well. So how does Isaac respond to that? The same way his father did. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. I want you to remember this. On that day, Isaac's servants began digging a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzath and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Right? Isaac has some swagger now, right? He knows these guys are afraid of him. He's like, why are you in my neighborhood now? You sent me away. Verse 28, they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. They're now afraid of him, so they want to come make a peace covenant with him. Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So they started digging a well. We don't know how long they were digging it, but the day that he makes a peace covenant with the Philistines and sends them away, the very same day his servants come and say that well we've been digging, we've struck water. And so he called it Sheba, and therefore the name of the city is Be'er Sheba to this day. Sheba could either mean an oath, like a covenant, or it could mean seven. And so it's named Be'er Sheba, the well of the oath, or the well of the covenant. So what have we got here? We're talking a lot about digging wells. And what does digging wells have to do with, with, with our relationship with God and our walk with God? Well, obviously, the purpose of digging wells was to find water. And so in your notes there in your bulletin, the first thing we want to talk about is what are the symbolic meanings of water in the Bible? The first one is this, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. 
so that he might sanctify her, her being the church of Jesus, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present her to present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So the first thing, the first line there in your notes is the word of God. Water represented the word of God. It said that the church would be washed by water with the word of God. The second one, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the second one is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's going to flow out of you like rivers of living water. The water represented the Holy Spirit. The third one, Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God the Father referred to himself as a fountain of living water. So the third one is God the Father. And the fourth one here. Isaiah 12, 3, therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. In John 4, 14, Jesus says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And so the fourth one is that water represents salvation or eternal life. So you can see here, what do we have? We have a list that includes the Word of God, which the Word of God is also who? Jesus. So we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have God the Father. So water represents every aspect of God. And water also represents eternal life and salvation, which means water represents the very works that God is doing. So when we talk about water and water moving, we're talking about God himself and we're talking about the works that God is doing. And so then what, what does the wells have to do with it? Well, I find this funny, but the Hebrew word for well is beer. And I felt kind of weird about preaching about beer on a Sunday morning. So I looked it up and it's actually pronounced Bayer. Okay, so we're not talking about beer, we're talking about Bayer, which is why, for example, it's Bayer Sheba, right? The well of the oath. So the Hebrew word for well is Bayer. What did it mean? It meant it was a deep shaft that was dug in the ground to give access to water that is moving under the surface. And they would access that water in one of two ways. Either they would dig deep enough to where they would actually tap into an underwater stream that is flowing. And so that stream would always be there at the bottom of the well. 
Or the other thing they would accomplish is that as they dug that well in a shaft of rock is that the water would actually percolate out of the rock and fill the well up so there would always be water in their well. The important thing to realize is that no matter how they dug it, the water was already there, right? Digging wells didn't make the water appear. Digging wells just gave them access to the water that was already there. So today, when we're talking about digging wells, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that God is already there, and God is already moving. And what we need to do by digging wells is creating access to God and creating access to moving in the things that God is already doing. God is always moving. We just don't always access where he's moving. And so in your notes there, it says this, digging wells symbolically refers to accessing the presence of God, the blessings or the life of God, and the movement of the Holy Spirit. So digging wells means that we are creating access points to the presence of God. Digging wells means we're creating access points to the life of God, right? Because where water flows, that's where life is, right? We are creating access points so we can experience all of the blessings and all of the abundance of life that God wants for us. And digging wells means that we are tapping into the movement of the Holy Spirit. That where the Holy Spirit is moving today, what's He doing today? I want to tap into it. I don't want to move in what I'm doing. I want to move in what God is doing. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go back and re-look at this story now that we understand the spiritual significance of digging wells. And what can we learn from this story of Isaac that applies to our life today? The first one is this. The enemy clogs up our wells. If we go back to verse 15 of Genesis 26, it says, Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. And so this was a common practice among enemies. One of the ways to drive your enemy out was to, was to take away their access to water. And so how do you take away their access to water? You fill up their wells. And so they would fill up their wells with dirt. They would fill them up with rocks. They would even throw dead carcasses in there so that maybe the well wasn't plugged up, but now the water is undrinkable because they've tainted the water. And so after Abraham left, the Philistines came in and filled up all the wells so that the Hebrews wouldn't come back. So the first thing we need to understand is that the enemy clogs up our wells. The enemy wants to stop what God is doing in our lives. And he does that by hindering us or by distracting us. He'll hinder us. He'll show up and bring all sorts of difficulty into our life. And in those struggles, we get weary and we get our eyes off of God. And he fills up our wells and we lose those access points to God. Or he'll come in and distract us. Distractions don't even have to be bad things. He can distract us with good things. He can distract us with fun things. He can distract us with things that feel good. But he comes in and he distracts us 
The enemy is constantly at work trying to hinder and distract us from accessing the presence of God and the life of God. This is also why you'll read at different points in the stories here in Genesis and even later on that they would create stone covers for their wells. And they would cover them up for two reasons. One, so the enemy wouldn't come dump stuff in them. And two, so that because they're in the desert and the wind is blowing, that the sand and the dirt and the dust wouldn't blow into their wells. They protected their wells from the enemy or from the debris or from the distraction coming in and clogging it up. We need to protect our wells. When we go through the work of digging a well, we need to understand that the enemy is going to want to fill it up. And here's the thing. Wells bring blessing. Anytime we're digging wells, we're experiencing the blessing of God. And when people see that we're blessed, some of them are going to be open to it, and some of them are going to be jealous and envious because of it. And listen, as followers of Christ, our goal is always to go out and love people and be at peace with people. That is our goal. But what's going to happen is, is people whose hearts are open to the gospel or their hearts are open to the chains or their hearts are open to the love that you have to share, they're going to receive it. But you're also going to engage people in your life whose hearts are closed, whose eyes are still blinded by the veil of the enemy, who are bitter and angry, and no matter how much you try to love them, they are going to cause strife for you. They are going to cause conflict for you because there's going to be an envy and a jealousy that is going to well up because of the blessing in your life. And so you need to understand and be prepared for the reality that when you dig wells, you are creating access to blessing, but simply by digging those wells, you're also going to stir up strife from the enemy. The enemy is going to want to come and hinder. He's going to want to come and distract, and we have got to be prepared for that. We don't just get to dig a well and then just lay back and relax because we dug the well. No. We need to dig the well, and then we need to be diligent to make sure that the well stays open. And you may have been in a season in your life where the wells were open and you were experiencing the goodness of God and you were moving in the Spirit and God's presence was powerful in your life. But then slowly but surely, the well plugged up. Not quickly enough for you to notice, but just slowly over time. And then one day you wake up and you realize that the power of God's not moving in your life. And your faith has grown stale and the excitement is not there. Your well's gotten clogged. And what do we need to do? We need to start redigging it. We need to get back to where we were and how we were moving in God. The enemy clogs up our wells. Second thing is this, is it talks about redigging the wells of our fathers. Let's go back to verse 18. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. Isaac purposely redug the wells of his father. And to me, this speaks all of us, whether collectively as a church or whether individually in our family lines, we have a spiritual heritage. 
And we may have lost touch with that spiritual heritage. We may have lost touch with the way that God moved in the lives of our grandparents or our parents or in the lives of the generation that came before us that helped to build this church. And there is a spiritual heritage and there is a responsibility on our parts to redig the wells of our fathers. Now, personally, I am the first person in my family who came to Christ. So I don't have a spiritual heritage in my family line. I'm digging wells now for the heritage of my children and my grandchildren. But I experienced something last month when it comes to Kauai Bible Church. Last month I flew over to Oahu because the Ark Church was hosting some revival meetings. And the Ark Church is pastored by, by Jake and Jolie Stewart who are good friends of Kauai Bible Church. And so I flew over there, and, and so we're having this worship service, and I'm standing there, and I look to my left, and to my left standing is Sam Webb and is Russ Stewart. And then I look to my right, and standing next to me is Sid Sumita. And here we are worshiping, and I just had a moment as I looked around, as I realized I am standing with the spiritual heritage of Kauai Bible Church. That this is our heritage. That these are the, the men that paved the way a generation before me for the heart and the passion from Grace Bible Church on Oahu who planted Kauai Bible Church. And what was that heritage? It's a heritage of spirit-led worship. It's a heritage of moving powerfully in the prophetic. It's a heritage of believing in the power of God and of seeing, of seeing healings and miracles. And, and it's an amazing heritage. And this week as I'm reading and studying Genesis 26, God brought me back to that night on Oahu, standing with these mighty men of God and realizing the importance of redigging the wells of our fathers, of tapping into the spiritual legacy of who we are as a church and the spiritual heritage of who we are as a church and redigging those wells of prophetic Redigging those wells of miraculous, redigging those wells of healing, redigging those wells of moving powerfully in the Holy Spirit and worship and embracing that that is our spiritual heritage and that is who we are. Isaac redug the wells of his father. He even gave them the same names because it was that important to him to be attached to the heritage of his father. And I think it's that important for us to be attached to our spiritual heritage. Have you ever considered what is your heritage in Christ? Did you have a praying grandma that prayed you into the kingdom? Did you have parents that instilled a solid foundation of the word of God in your life? Did you grow up in prayer meetings because your parents were always at every prayer meeting and you were always laying under the chairs coloring in a coloring book? Because that's your spiritual heritage. What is your spiritual heritage? And what are the wells that you need to redig in your life to tap back into that heritage? Number three, this one really jumped out at me. Some wells we need to move away from. Right? In verse 19, it says they dug a well, but then the other herdsmen began to quarrel with them. And this was actually very normal. Honestly, it's still normal even to this day. 
right? Water is the key to life when you're living in a desert. And so if you're shepherding sheep or you're trying to grow farmland, water is the key to life. And so access to water is always going to be a source of conflict. And so different shepherds and different herdsmen arguing over water was a normal thing. So Isaac's servants dig a well, and they start quarreling over it. And so he actually names the well quarreling or contention. And then they dig another well, and they quarreled over that one. So he named that one enmity. But then in verse 22, listen to this. He moved away from there. There are some wells that we need to move away from. There are people that drink from the wells of jealousy that drink from the wells of gossip, that drink from the wells of conflict and arguing and quarreling. There are people that drink from the wells of bitterness. And we need to take the example of Isaac when it says, then he moved away from there. There are some wells we need to move away from. There are some wells we've been spending too much time around. If somebody comes to you and starts gossiping, you need to be like, hey, you know what? I don't need to be drinking from this well. I need to get away from this. This is not the well I need to be hanging out at. Somebody comes to you sharing bitterness. You're like, you know what? Hey, I understand that you're hurting, but this is not a well that I want to drink from. This is not a well that's going to get me where I want to go in life. Some wells we want to move away from. So I want to encourage us today, don't linger at the wrong wells. Don't spend a lot of time in the wrong place. If you find yourself at a well of bitterness or a well of jealousy or a well of anger or a well of arguing and fighting, move away from the well and dig a new well where you can tap back into God. Let's move away from the wrong wells. Number four, digging wells gives us room for God's growth. In verse 22, when Isaac moved away from those wells, they dug a well, they found water, and there was no quarreling. No other herdsmen tried to claim the water rights to that well. And so what does Isaac do? He names it Rehoboth, broad places. He says, we finally have room to grow. We finally have room that as God blesses us, we have room for more sheep. We have room for more servants. We have room, he says, to grow in this land and to be what? Fruitful in this land. Digging wells gives us room for God's growth. And so my encouragement today is let's keep on digging until we have tapped into the well of the broad places. God wants us to grow. God doesn't want us to stay the same as we were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. He wants us to have a greater capacity for his love. He wants us to have a, a greater capacity for his blessings. He wants us to have a greater capacity for ministry, to do great things for his kingdom. He wants us to have a greater capacity for his Holy Spirit so that more rivers of living water would be flowing out of us. God wants us to have a greater capacity. There needs to be room for growth. 
And a lot of times what's happening in our lives is we want to be better and we want to do better and we want to see better results, but we just keep running into walls, right? We try to jump out of something, but we just hit our head on the ceiling. We try to get out of this, but we just run into a wall. There's no room to grow. So how do we make room to grow? We dig wells. We tap into the presence of God. We tap into the blessings of God. We tap into the moving of the Holy Spirit. And when we dig wells, we create space for God's growth in our lives. When we dig wells, we break through ceilings. Right? Come on. It's a, it's a what is that, an oxymoron? When we dig down, we make more room to go up. Right? Digging wells creates room for God's growth. And the last one in your notes is this. Wells establish us to dwell in God's presence. Remember, we talked about these are desert environments, right? This was a desert environment anyway, but they were also in the midst of a famine when this was taking place, right? So this was an even more arid desert environment, And we know now the environment of Israel is that they depend on the former and the latter rain. They have two rainy seasons, right? One breaks up the hard ground so they can plant seeds. The second rainy season, the latter rain, waters the ground so that the harvest can produce great fruits. But when there's a famine, it's just hard ground, and there's nothing going on. You need water to survive in the deserts. I was hanging out with Leigh uh, Thursday night at the West Side Home Group, and she was sharing with me stories of her dad growing up in Niihau and how the village had a well. And in times of drought, when the rain wouldn't move over to Niihau, the well would dry up. And if the well dried up, the village had nowhere to turn. And they would gather together in the church and they would cry out desperately to God to bring the rains so that the well would fill up again. Why? Because without water in that well, they couldn't live on Niihau. They couldn't survive there. Without water, you can't live somewhere. And so that means you can't stay anywhere long without a well that's producing water. And so we read in this story that Isaac's servants, once they moved back to Beersheba, they began digging a well. While they're digging a well, the Philistines come and make a treaty. And then when they leave, the servants say, we've struck water. And right after it says they've struck water. Hang on. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And what we know is that Isaac stayed there and lived there. That's where he raised his children, Esau and Jacob. And he lived there until late in life when he moved to the place where he would die. Why did Isaac live there? Because they had dug a well. And that well allowed them to establish their livelihood and their dwelling there. And Kauai Bible Church, when we dig wells, that's what establishes us in the presence of God. And that's what's going to create fruit that lasts. 
And if you've been in a, in a season of life or maybe you've lived your entire life where you just bounce around, there's no consistency, there's no stability. And I know this because this defined my life. Growing up, struggling, moving around, never living anywhere long because you burn bridges and then you go somewhere else and then you burn bridges and you got to go somewhere else and then you got to move here and you got to move there and your life is marked by instability and chaos and constant change and turmoil. Digging wells will establish you in the presence of God so that you don't have to keep moving and will create a stability and a strength in your life. Let me invite the worship team to come back today. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? How do we dig wells? Well, how do we tap into the presence of God? Through practicing the spiritual disciplines, right? Prayer and pressing through in prayer. Worship, not just on Sundays when we're gathered together. Now, this is powerful when we gather together and worship, but worshiping God every day. Studying the Word and digging into the Word. Learning to hear the voice of God so that when God speaks to you, you know it's Him and you know what to do. And you know where God is moving because you can see Him at work and you can hear Him at work because you've practiced His presence and you've spent time with Him and you've developed intimacy. There's no secret to digging wells. It's the same spiritual disciplines that have been practiced for thousands of years. And I know we want a new answer. We, some, we want something fresh. What's the secret? What's the new secret? There is no new secret. It's practicing the same disciplines that have been practiced for thousands of years. And when we practice those disciplines, we dig wells. And when we dig wells, we can dwell in the presence of God. And we're diligent to keep those wells unplugged. Amen? I want to finish with this. It says in verse 28 that when the Philistines came and, and found him in Beersheba, in verse 28, they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. As we have said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. They kicked Isaac out of their land. And after he left their land, you know what left with him? The blessings. And he kept becoming more and more blessed and more and more powerful. And God kept creating more and more space until the day that the leaders of the Philistines came to him. And all they could say is, we see plainly that God is with you. Man, when I read stuff like that, I just think, oh, what if people said that about me? What if people came to me and all they could say is, we can see plainly that God is with you? That is my prayer for my life, and that is my prayer for every person and every family at Kauai Bible Church, that people could come to us, even though they were our enemies, right? The Philistines were the enemies of the Hebrew people, that even our enemies would come to us and say, we can see plainly that God is with you. Will you stand with me today? What would it take for us to get there? 
What would it take for people that we work with, people that we go to school with, family members that we hang out with, our neighbors that we uh, hang out and talk story with? What would it take for them to come to us and say, we can see plainly that God is with you? You know what it takes? Digging wells. That's what it's going to take. We're going to keep digging, and we're going to keep digging. And if someone clogs our well, we're going to dig it back out. And we're going to tap back in to the spiritual heritage of our forefathers. And we're going to keep digging, and we're going to be diligent to stay in the place of the presence of God. And if we will be diligent to dig the wells, the people will plainly see that God is with us. Can I invite the prayer team to come forward today? As we sing this song, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. If there's a well that's clogged up in your life, I want to invite you to come forward. If this message has stirred you today and you're like, that's where I want to live. I want to live in the presence of God and I'm not there yet. I invite you to come forward, receive prayer. If you need prayer for anything today, healing for the move of God in your life, for your family, whatever it may be, Everyone that's up here, we want to pray with you. We're excited to pray with you. Let's sing this song together. Let's set the atmosphere of ministry. And then I invite you, come forward and receive prayer today. God, would you begin to move? Oh, God, and would you teach us how to tap into just where you're moving? Oh, we want to flow in you, God. We want to walk in your blessings, Lord. We want that water flowing out of us so it's not just us getting blessed. Oh, we're touching and changing lives around us. Teach us to tap into where you're moving, God. Unclog the wells. Oh, take us back to the wells of our fathers. Let us dwell in the land and be fruitful, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.